COVID crisis at Northern Hospitals. We have the power to turn this around. We can reduce pressure on our hospitals. Drastic measures to take care of critical cases and the ripple effect across BC. A Vancouver nurse pushed to the brink. He came towards me and he was so angry, I thought he was gonna hit me. Her racist run-in with an anti-vax protester. And what could be the end of the coyote controversy? Why Stanley Park restrictions are being lifted? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. BC's healthcare system is facing major strain as the number of COVID patients requiring intensive care keeps climbing. The situation has now led to the delay of hundreds of surgeries and the transfer of patients from overrun hospitals in northern BC to ICUs in the Lower Mainland and on Vancouver Island. Richard Zussman has the latest. A system under pressure. The North is being overstretched by COVID-19. Low vaccination rates and the highly transmissible Delta variant driving COVID-19 cases in Northern Health. And that's leading to more people in intensive care, doubling over the past two weeks, from 11 on September 8th to 22 now. Hospital cases have more than doubled in Northern Health in that period, from 30 on the 8th to 64 now. We expect the pressure on critical care in the North will continue until vaccination rates go up and cases and hospitalizations go down. We need to reduce pressure on the North. To manage that pressure, 12 patients have been moved out of Northern Health to manage capacity. Nine of them tested positive for COVID. The province dedicating 10 ICU beds in the lower mainland for Northern COVID patients and five on Vancouver Island. It will be difficult for those patients and their families and their loved ones. But these are necessary steps to ensure people in the North have access to quality care and to support our health care workers. Staff at hospitals feeling the pressure as well. Overworked, tired and many nurses feeling that this next phase could just be too much. And we see... Um losses in staffing just because of burnout, stress and medical illnesses that come up because they're so stressed and not able to manage their well-being. Our teams are tired and there's a moral distress that we feel when uh, we are um, seeing people who are suffering from a preventable illness. Province-wide hospitalizations climbing as well from 261 in hospital early September to 332 now. The Nurses Union President Christine Sorensen resigning late Monday. The union executive did not support the province's requirement for healthcare workers to be immunized against COVID-19 by October 26th, while most of the front line are pushing for people to get the shot. It worries me because the Delta variant has been really ramping up with a lot of the unvaccinated people. This comes as over 100 unvaccinated healthcare workers were off work in the province last week, either sick with COVID or required to isolate due to a close contact. Another pressure on a system, one hitting a point that may soon need more measures or more cancelled surgeries. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Now, while our new daily case number is down today, hospitalizations are once again up. We have 525 new cases with 5,282 active cases right now. 332 people are in hospital. That's up 25, 155 of them in ICU. 
One more person has died from complications of the virus. 79.5% of eligible British Columbians aged 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry is live with more now on the news. Many parents have been waiting for, Keith, the possibility mm -hmm. of vaccines for kids under 11 years old. Yeah, get ready for this. It's going to happen sooner than later. Pfizer and Moderna completing their clinical trials this month on uh, kids in that age group. The results so far are very promising. It's going to go to Health Canada and the National Advisory Committee on Immunizations for approval. And Dr. Bonnie Henry today disclosing she already has her immunization teams up and ready to produce the vaccines for that age group when it is approved later this fall. Our immunization teams across the province are actively preparing to be able to offer this vaccine as if and when Health Canada approves it for use here in Canada and it becomes available. All right, Keith, there was also a lot of talk today about pregnant women who mm -hmm. are unvaccinated. Uh, really concerning uh, news and uh, some talk about misinformation that they're getting. Yes, this topic comes up from time to time. And Dr. Henry, using today's briefing as a sort of a, to clear the air here, at the beginning of the pandemic, at the beginning of the vaccination rollout, there wasn't a lot of data concerning pregnant women because they weren't part of the clinical trials. Since then, though, tens of thousands of pregnant women have been immunized with basically safe, uh, safe outcomes. Dr. Henry today is saying don't base your information when it comes to whether or not you should be vaccinated if you're pregnant or any, any other question on uh, websites, the Internet, social media. There's so much wrong information out there. She says you really have to check your sources. What we need to do is, is have venues, have places where people can actually get credible information that, uh, that helps allay some of those fears. And that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk about pregnancy today, why I wanted to talk about uh, some of the other concerns that we're hearing from people because of the intentional scaring um, that goes on in some of these, uh, uh, particularly social media sites that are just plain wrong. A lot of misinformation out there. I'll leave you with some credible information. Just a daily reminder of the 155 people in ICU, 137 of them are unvaccinated, a statistic that doesn't change any day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good to know. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. A Vancouver nurse is speaking out after she says she was the target of a racist verbal attack during an anti-vaccine card rally. She admits she played a part in how the confrontation started, but as Kamal Karamali reports, Rallies like the one she witnessed are pushing her and her colleagues to the brink of leaving their jobs. It is my, the greatest honor of my life to serve my community, but I don't know how much longer I can do this for. Amy Huang is still shaken up. Days after she says an anti-vaccine protester hurled a racist remark at her. And he looked at me from up to down and in an instant he said, go back to China. Huang is a registered nurse at Vancouver General Hospital. She just finished working a long overnight shift in what was already a difficult week. I was looking after my COVID patient. By the end of my last shift, it turns out that she had been transferred to the ICU and I don't know if she's gonna make it or not. So when she was on her way to see a friend and says she saw protesters spewing anti-vaccine conspiracy theories outside the Vancouver Art Gallery, it fired up something inside of her. I was just standing here, just waiting for my friend. Huang saw a car stopped at a red light, a poster taped to its side with what she says was vaccine misinformation. She ripped it off. And that's when the driver stepped out of the car and went nose to nose with her. He said, uh, go back to China. 
an incident she won't ever forget. It hurts my heart to know that there's people out there that believe I don't belong here. I don't have as much rights. Large rallies protesting vaccine mandates have been taking place across B.C., some outside hospitals, crowding emergency lanes, blocking ambulances. Huang says for some healthcare workers, the rallies have extinguished any spark they had left, many completely burned out from the pandemic. This feels like a slap in the face after working so hard for the past year and a half. Some of her co-workers on the verge of quitting, a few have already left, and she may be joining them soon. I feel as though if somebody needed an extra push, this is the final one. As for the man, she says yelled a racist phrase at her. She wants to apologize for trying to destroy his poster as long as he's willing to offer an apology in return. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Another sign of the tension over COVID-19 rules. Transit police are looking for two people who attacked a woman on a SkyTrain over wearing masks. It happened last evening at about 7.20 p.m. on a SkyTrain traveling through Burnaby when the victim asked a young unmasked couple sitting close to her if they had any masks. She says they replied, what's it to you? And then things got worse. The female suspect then got up out of her seat and allegedly struck the victim uh, so hard that it actually knocked her onto the ground of the SkyTrain. The female suspect and male suspect then proceeded to hit the female as she was on the ground of the SkyTrain uh, before they exited the SkyTrain at uh, Metro Town SkyTrain Station. Luckily, the victim wasn't seriously hurt. The female suspect is described as Caucasian in her early 20s, 5 feet 5 inches tall with a medium build with long dyed red hair, wearing a black coat with writing down the sleeves and red track pants. The male suspect is described as Caucasian, 25 to 30 years of age, 5 foot 10 with a medium build with short brown hair, wearing a dark jacket and jeans. Anyone with information should call SkyTrain police or Crime Stoppers. After a divisive election campaign and more than $600 million spent, Canada's new parliament looks almost identical to the old one. Ted Chernecki spoke to the experts on what that might mean for the next few years. Word on the street is that this federal election was a colossal waste of both time and money. It was irresponsible, didn't need it to be called. It was a total waste of money, meaning that we're in the same position as we were yesterday. True, but some climate change critics are hoping this election will change the course of discourse in the House. One of the things we saw in this election was a race to the top um, on climate between the Liberals, the NDP, and um, to a lesser extent, the Greens. And even the even the Conservatives were engaged in that. So the silver lining in all those clouds of pollution is a detailed campaign platform on climate change from all parties. And now, The baseline is a pretty serious level of carbon pricing, really ambitious regulatory standards for the the key sectors, oil and gas, transportation, electricity, um, that account for the majority of Canada's emissions. So, you know, it's promising, but they have to deliver. And therein lies the rub. Aaron O'Toole repeatedly said Justin Trudeau has never met a climate change goal. It was a right-of-center speech aimed specifically at progressive voters, namely in the greater Toronto area. We also didn't win the trust to a level we needed in parts of the GTA, some parts of the country that we have to do better. 
Trudeau was so bold as to say last night's vote was a clear mandate. Some have talked about division, but that's not what I see. You are sending us back to work with a clear mandate to get Canada through this pandemic and to the brighter days ahead. And the NDP, with a slight increase in the popular vote, sees no reason for another election anytime soon. We're not looking for ways to, to force an election. We think that's uh, not the, uh, the goal. And, and Canadians sent us a clear message. They want us to continue working. The 44th election will go down as the most expensive in history. Was it a waste of time and money? Voters will decide in the next election. If they show up, voter turnout yesterday could be an all-time low. Global News. Now, while the big picture didn't change much, here in B.C., there were a handful of election night upsets. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, a few ridings still too close to call. Metro Vancouver doesn't look all that different the day after the election. But a deeply divided three-way split in the electorate has redrawn the map in some places no one expected. The Liberals took home the fewest votes, but the most seats in B.C. Any chance of a Conservative win Monday was dashed when seats flipped in Richmond, in Coquitlam, even Langley. The NDP did fine, the Liberals did fine, the Conservatives will be a little bit disappointed, but it's pretty close to a three-way tie. Three ridings are still too close to call. And while they won't affect the status of the minority government, they are reflective of the story in B.C., Richmond Conservative incumbent Alice Wong trailing by fewer than 700 votes to Liberal Wilson Miao. In Vancouver, Granville, the lead for Liberal Talib Nur Mohammed, about half a percentage point. The mail-in ballots will decide who goes to Ottawa. The votes are where they will be, and, and that's, that's, that's the way it is. And on the island in Nanaimo, Ladysmith, the NDP, nearly 1,000 votes clear. We may not know until Friday when they actually count those votes. While the Conservatives lost ground, the Greens suffered perhaps the biggest disappointment in this election, bleeding support away everywhere. In B.C., only Elizabeth May could hold her seat, the Green vote hovering around 5% province-wide. It will take years to rebuild the brand. Parties get knocked down. We saw it uh, with the NDP when they went to two seats and look where they are now. And we saw it with the federal Liberals when they were down 32 seats and came back with Justin Trudeau's sunny ways. So anything's possible in politics. While all three major parties garnered about the same level of support in British Columbia, it is the small changes that matter. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The fallout from a parking lot skirmish has reached a whole new level of intensity. It involves Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum, who says he was confronted by those who oppose a new Surrey police force, and one of them drove over his foot. The surprising new turn the investigation is taking next on the News Hour. Major developments in Vancouver's coyote controversy. Why restrictions on Stanley Park are being lifted later. And what orca researchers have concluded about a missing matriarch on the West Coast. That's coming up as well. Right now, though, the appointment of a special prosecutor to, prosecutor to consult on a complaint launched by the mayor of Surrey is not the only movement in the case. Global News has learned there's a change in who's leading the investigation into the confrontation at a South Surrey parking lot. Catherine Urquhart explains. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum will not be commenting. That from his media relations spokesperson. 
It comes one day after it was announced that Special Prosecutor Richard Fowler is now investigating a complaint reported by McCallum. As she she pulled out and, and turned right, she clipped my knee and, and my bottom leg and then ran over my foot at the same time and then took off. McCallum alleges that he was hit by a canvasser who was collecting signatures for an elections BC sanctioned petition aimed at keeping the RCMP in Surrey. He says he went on to do his grocery shopping, then went to Peace Arch Hospital. They took some x-rays and then they looked at my foot and everything. um, And um, they said um, that the... um, the, the tissue, the, the soft tissue, they said, it's very badly bruised. The police phoned me, and so we, because the police station's only a block away, I said I would drive to it. So I drove from the hospital there. I did a full interview and let the police know all the incidents. Um, I can tell you the, the police officer um, really was kind of shocked at what happened. The investigation into the September 4th incident is no longer being conducted by the Surrey RCMP. In an email, the RCMP said, In order to ensure there is no potential for real or perceived conflict of interest or improper influence, BC RCMP Major Crime Section Special Projects Unit has taken conduct of the previous Surrey RCMP investigation. Sources have told Global News that police have surveillance video which shows exactly what occurred. Global News has identified a number of surveillance cameras here at South Point Mall. Whatever they captured, likely to be key evidence in the investigation. Save on Foods says it's providing full cooperation to the RCMP. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Treacherous times at one of BC's most popular attractions. For it to happen is definitely rare and surprising. A series of rockfalls making the Stuamis Chief Park users nervous. And the mystery of what's killing fish at Stanley Park's Lost Lagoon. Traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge with just some leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Attention consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Andrewa investigates consumer matters on Global News. Vancouver's crown jewel, Stanley Park, has fully reopened to the public now following an an extended closure because of aggressive coyotes. Grace Key joins us live tonight in the park. There was an effort to trap and kill the coyotes, Grace. So what do we know about the results of that? Because people are still being warned to be cautious in Stanley Park. Yeah, we are being told that four coyotes were killed during that two-week period, and that is in addition to the seven killed by BC Conservation officers, and that was in response to specific attacks. So all day today, park rangers have been busy taking down signs. All trails are back open, and the park is no longer closed overnight. Coyotes have attacked about 45 people since December. A couple of weeks ago, the BC Ministry of Forests announced a plan to actively trap the coyotes because they had been habituated to human food. 
food. Now, as for the number of coyotes in the park right now, and the original numbers being floated around was about 35, but monitoring shows far fewer numbers. There is still, uh, you know, a couple of coyotes that uh, are seen in the park, but uh, the behavior is not similar to the other ones that uh, the ministry had addressed. So at this point right now, we feel safe uh, that the park is uh, open to the public. So work does continue to make sure, uh, try to make sure that humans and wildlife can coexist. There have been seven wildlife resistant garbage containers that have been set up in the park that is part of a pilot project. They're going to review some municipal bylaws when it comes to feeding wildlife. Education is going to continue as well as monitoring. Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks for that. Grace Key and Stanley Park for us. The Stanley Park Ecology Society is investigating after a large number of fish were found floating dead in Lost Lagoon. Dozens of dead fish have been spotted, while a number of others that are still alive appear to be moving sluggishly. The fish are common carp, a species that was introduced to that body of water. The water quality in the lagoon is being tested and the investigation continues, but we are told the die-off is probably a result of the weekend's heavy rain falling just when the water in the lagoon is starting to turn over. A natural process that they say happens every fall. Well, people are being told to stay away from the north wall of the Stawamas Chief in Squamish after that huge rockfall that was caught on video. Madagahi tells us what caused it and what it means for the future of the popular climbing route. You can see some of the large boulders there in the debris field yeah. and you can actually see some white marks where the piece that fell off hit that ramp. The early estimates circulating the climbing community are that a rock face somewhere between 30 and 50 meters tall has fallen off the Stawamas Chief in Squamish. Something this size is really rare um, in terms of destruction. It's totally cleared out a path of trees. It happened at about 1.30 Monday morning. Watch here as the sparks from the falling and grinding rock light up the night sky and are captured by a 24-hour live stream. Well, I woke up, I looked out my window and I noticed that, oh, a big chunk is missing. There is a fresh scar clearly visible from just about anywhere the rock towers over. Nearby trails are closed because experts say the section involved could still be active. That chunk was helping to hold up areas around it, and so those areas start to fall. It will be very active for the next, you know, several weeks to several months. Case in point, there was a second, much smaller fall later Monday afternoon. It's too early to point to global warming as the main cause, but extreme weather events have been known to trigger rockfalls in the past. Warming and cooling of the slope, which, which opens up some of those fractures. And then we've had a lot of rain lately, and that rain can actually help kind of push those blocks apart a little bit and, and cause it to fall. No injuries are reported as heavy rain most of the day before meant the conditions luckily had kept climbers off the chief. In 2015, a portion just above also gave way, and if nothing more, these events serve as a reminder that the picturesque landmark can at any moment flex its ancient geological muscle. Imadagahi, Global News. Just ahead, some tragic developments in the case of a missing travel vlogger. I'd like to report a domestic dispute.
New clues and the search for her fiance, who suddenly disappeared too. And later, a new course changing the face of dermatology. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel, and after a busy afternoon commute, traffic is finally eased off in both directions. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Surrey RCMP are investigating what appears to be a disturbing discovery in a wooded area. Police say they were called to the scene by a member of the public who discovered what is believed to be partial human remains near the 8,000 block of 148A Street. RCMP are working with the BC Coroner's Service to investigate and determine the origin of the remains. Police are still canvassing and conducting an in-depth search for the or of the surrounding region. Anyone with information is asked to contact Surrey RCMP. A coroner has now confirmed the death of 22-year-old van life blogger Gabby Petito. She disappeared last month during a road trip with her fiancé. He is considered a person of interest in the case, but his whereabouts are unknown. Autopsy results confirm the remains found in Wyoming are those of 22-year-old Gabby Petito. Ruled a homicide, a cause of death has not been revealed. Authorities resumed their search for Brian Laundry Tuesday using dogs and all-terrain vehicles to canvas a Florida nature preserve. Terrain's very difficult. Um, essentially, 75% of it's underwater, um, and other areas uh, that are dry, we're trying to clear. Laundry hasn't been seen since last week and is wanted for questioning in the death of his fiance. The pair had been on a cross-country road trip. I'd like to report a domestic dispute of Florida license plate. This 911 call made on August 12th detailed an altercation between the two. Uh, we drove by and a gentleman was slapping the girl. He was slapping her? Yes, and then we stopped. They ran up and down the sidewalk. He proceeded to hit her, hopped in the car, and they drove off. Police body cam video shows the immediate aftermath of that call. We would have been fighting all morning and, <laughs> and he wouldn't let me in the car before. And Why I, wouldn't he let you in the car? Because you have your OCD? No charges were filed, and the next day, the couple continued their trip to Wyoming. Authorities are not commenting on the evidence seized Monday from the Laundry family home in Northport, Florida. Community members are adding to a growing memorial for Petito. I just can't imagine having a child and losing a child, and here she is on a venture of a dream. It had to be a dream. Everybody just wants answers. Answers they might not get as long as laundry is missing. Jerika Duncan, CBS News, Northport, Florida. In Health Matters tonight, COVID-19 has now killed about as many Americans as the Spanish flu pandemic did. The reported number of COVID deaths in the U.S. crossed 675,000 on Monday. That number, of course, expected to rise as the U.S. averages more than 1,900 deaths per day. The nation is currently experiencing a wave of new infections fueled by the fast-spreading Delta variant. The 1918 flu, however, came in several waves occurring in the spring and fall of 1918 and the winter and spring of 1919. It was considered America's most lethal pandemic in recent history up until now. The Canadian Dermatology Association is offering an accredited learning series for dermatologists 
about skin diversity. Right now, doctors receive minimal training in medical school on the subject, yet when it comes to dermatology, treatments can vary as much as skin color. Global Sulingo reports. Hi, Keegan. How's it going? Keegan Spicer's acne was so severe it was painful. He describes his face as looking like it was burnt. And so I lost my confidence to go out in public or school. The 18-year-old is First Nations Dene Sulin, which meant dermatologist Zaki Taher had to approach his treatment in a specific way. So settings that one skin type could accept would not be okay with his skin type. And we had to do just the right amount so we weren't darkening or creating pigment problems. Dr. Taher is among more than 100 dermatologists updating their training through the Canadian Dermatology Association's new Skin Diversity Learning Series. He says when it comes to skin of colour, there's a lot more to consider than just pigment. We do know based on ethnicity and background, skin can have different pore sizes. Um, Some skin types are just more prone to be more oily. And some conditions are more common. Dark patches, or melasma, tend to happen more in black and South Asian skin. Asian adults can have more severe eczema. Plus, skin cancer may be less noticeable in darker skin, leading to delayed diagnosis. Yet one recent U.S. study of medical textbooks found just 4.5% of images showed dark skin. Dr. Taher feels med students need more training about patient diversity. So the more we know, the more we could tell them, hey, this is what you have and this is what you can expect. Over a year and a half, Keegan had plasma injections and laser treatments, and he's leaving the house a lot more lately. When you look in the mirror now, what do you think? Uh, Beyond words, I am just happy. Like, I have gained all that confidence I have lost back then. Up ahead, smashing hockey stereotypes. What are you going to do today? You going to do all? one BC coach is getting the best out of his team on and off the ice. But first, the West Coast Orca family missing a key matriarch. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. There is renewed concern about the dwindling southern resident killer whale population. A grandmother orca is presumed dead after going missing several months ago. As Kylie Stanton reports, her death will likely send ripple effects throughout her family. At 47 years old, with three surviving calves and two grand offspring, L47, known as Marina, had earned her status as a matriarch of the southern resident killer whales. But after nearly six months without a sighting, researchers are giving up hope. So it's pretty complete surveys of the group using photo identification, and one animal is missing, and that happens repeatedly. It's, it's a pretty good sign that that, that that whale's gone. The whale was last spotted in Swanson Channel on February 27th of this year. But after failing to surface in subsequent surveys conducted in the western strait of Juan de Fuca, she was declared missing and now most likely deceased. The population has certain, certainly taken a hit. It follows the recent death of K-21, a 35-year-old male who was last seen in July badly emaciated. So that's tragic, when you see them suffering like that. It brings the current southern resident killer whale population to 73. But the loss of L-47 is expected to send a ripple through the family 
as post-reproductive females hold key leadership roles in this society, particularly when food is scarce. The chances of survival for her remaining family now actually decrease once she passes away. According to the Center for Whale Research, L47's son has a risk of death in the next two years three times greater than a male of the same age with the surviving mother. Her two grand offspring have a six-fold increase in their risk of death in that same time period. And that only increases if the food source is compromised. All signs point to salmon, 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 and without salmon, they're not able to successfully reproduce. The good news, three members of J-Pod are now pregnant. And while that brings a sense of hope, researchers say they've learned to remain cautiously optimistic. We've never managed to get a sustained period of solid growth in this population. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Hmm. Well, that's it for summer. Last day, full day today. Fall arrives tomorrow. Uh, Funny enough, though, the weather is improving towards the end of the week, isn't it, Christy? (laughs) You're exactly right, actually. We do have some great news in store for us as we head towards the end of the week. Not necessarily tomorrow as we transition officially to fall. Now, you can see some cloud cover behind me, but it was a glorious day. Here's a look at how warm it was across the south coast region. So a bit of humidity in the air. So areas away from the water like Pitt Meadows felt like 25, Abbotsford 26, uh, Hope uh, 24, as you can see there. Uh, So still gorgeous conditions right across the region. But we were just on the southern edge of what is quite a significant storm across the north coast central coast bringing periods of rain there today and that is going to swing down towards us as we transition to fall now the chance of rain for our region is mainly in through the morning hours we'll see some cloud covering it will be cooler in the morning but that shifts out really quickly and we do still have a chance of showers in through the fraser valley in the afternoon but overall we should see a clearing trend so we officially transition into fall at 12 21 p.m tomorrow afternoon and we should see some sunshine thursday morning another system drives onto the north coast as you can see here but we should continue with sunshine except for the possibility of a little bit of cloud cover in through the Fraser Valley region on Thursday morning but overall we are headed towards a terrific end to our week so in the meantime this is your Wednesday everyone again the bulk of the moisture you see here is really mainly through the morning hours clearing trend expected through the afternoon and that's the case for Metro Vancouver with a high of 18 degrees which is near seasonal for this time of year Uh, today was nice and warm and then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, as Chris mentioned, we're really looking at a sunshine. We have a very slight chance of showers in the morning hours on Thursday with some cloud cover, but that should clear out and we should be enjoying sunshine from there on in. The next chance of rain is not expected until Sunday. So not a bad transition into fall, that's for sure. Tonight's central windows weather window is zero uh, cumulus clouds looking up from at the sky from Chilliwack. Ross Patterson sending us that gorgeous shot with the birds that you can see there in the cloud cover. I always love uh, different photos like that. So thanks so much, Ross. Chris and I are, we need our glasses. <laughs> we need our glasses. We got <laughs> well, the yeah. lights are shining off our monitors too. Oh, I see the birds. Also, our eyesight is failing. So the bottom center, <laughs> bottom center. Bottom center. There you go. Very cool. Hold I on, I'm just gonna get it. up and have a look. <laughs> Wait, we need a magnifier. Oh no, it's gone. It's already gone. How many times how many times now have you been handed an old photo? Can you see that, Chris? Oh, no, I see point it now. It, yeah. Point it out, okay. point it out, point it out. It's right here. See? No, I still love it. It's a line. And, and up here, too. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs>
Everybody right. at home. I was, was going to say, how many times you've been handed like an old Polaroid photo, and the first thing you do is this? Yes, to you try to make, make it bigger. bigger. Yeah, I know, and magazines too. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. All right, this show is broken down. Um, once again, BC Lions quarterback Michael Raleigh, despite a sore elbow, is the CFL's Player of the Week. He really is like the toughest player I've ever been around. He is the best quarterback in Canada right now, and I don't think he's 100% healthy yet. Also tonight, and this is BC, a hockey team coaching its players to get better physically and mentally, too. All right, Squire. Yes. Hockey contracts. There's a few here in BC that people are very curious to get settled. Well, I think those two have been waiting to see what other guys got first. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see what other guys have been getting. The Minnesota Wild today signed Rookie of the Year Kiro Kaprizov to a five-year contract worth $9 million per season. And I'm quite sure Elias Patterson and his, and his agents we're waiting to see the numbers on a Kaprizov deal because Pedersen is also a former Rookie of the Year and he's played three seasons to Kaprizov's one. Elias Pedersen is a center, Kaprizov is a winger. Centers are usually more valuable than wingers when they're at the same talent level. And it might, though, not be similar money per season for Pedersen because unlike Kaprizov, he may opt for less years on his contract, which would save the Canucks, you would think, a bit of money in the short term because he'd get less money for less years. But Pedersen can be an unrestricted free agent in 2025 or four seasons from now. He could aim for that moment to go after the really big money, either here or somewhere else. Sign a three-year contract, that could force the Canucks to buck up in 2024 to avoid free agency. Well, when the BC Lions signed quarterback Michael Riley away from Edmonton, they believed they were getting the best QB in the CFL. But with a young coaching staff that struggled all season long and an offensive line that didn't serve and protect like it should, Riley couldn't really deliver in 2019 the way he normally does. But this year, he is the best quarterback in the CFL, and he is once again a player of the week. Riley, end zone looking a touchdown. Michael Riley is making a habit out of being named the CFL's top performer of the week. To no one's surprise, Riley earning the honor in back-to-back weeks after throwing for over 300 yards for the third straight game and fourth time in five starts. He's, he's, he's the guy that we wanted. He's the guy that, uh, when we invested in him, the, the guy that we want to lead our football team. And so far, he's been doing exactly what we wanted. Here's a deep look for Lucky Whitehead, feasting on the big play again. BC's won three straight football games, and it's become very clear as Riley goes, so too do the BC Lions. Be it on the field or off it, Michael Riley is the leader of this team. Last year when the CFL was dormant, Riley was anything but. He spent serious time helping the coaching staff rewrite the Lions playbook, as well as connecting with his receivers on a weekly basis to make sure that everybody was on the same page. You know, Brian and the rest of the wide receiving core and and Nathan as well, um, you know, doing Zoom meetings and just buying into saying, okay, you know, we can't be on the field or even in the same room together, but uh, we're going to utilize this time as best as we can. Riley is worth every penny of the $525,000 the Lions are paying him this season. He's completed 75% of the passes he's thrown 
and that includes eight touchdown passes against just one single interception. The guy truly is reinforcing the fact he's the CFL's best quarterback, and he's doing this all at the age of 36. Uh, he's a great leader, you know. Um, we all hold each other accountable on the line, and, you know, he does as well to the receivers and himself. And, uh, you know, we, we, we're always making each other better. And, uh, you know, he's a great football player. And, uh, you know, he's you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So, you know, if we block for him, he's going he's gonna to make things happen. Uh, he really is, like, the toughest player I've ever been around. Uh, things he has to deal with, he's on top of it. Um, in the facility at 6 a.m., here until probably about 6 p.m. Um, he really dedicates his time to this game and to us. And, um, yeah, man, he puts the time in. He deserves everything that comes his way because he, he works for it. Jay Janower, Global Sports. Blue Jays raise, and with the Yankees right behind them, Oakland and Seattle, Toronto can't slow down in this wild card race. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. against Tampa Bay tonight. That is out of the yard. And that gave Toronto a 2-1 lead, and they are hanging on to a lead right now in the eighth inning. Last time we checked, it was 3-2 for the Jays. UFC superstar Conor McGregor can fight in the octagon, and that's not easy. But to McGregor, that is a lot easier than throwing a baseball. The ceremonial first pitch of the Cubs game went about as well for McGregor as his red carpet moment with Machine Gun Kelly at the VMAs. Here we go. Not the greatest footage in the world, but that footage is better than that pitch. That is a tragedy. Maybe his suit's too tight. That is one tight jacket. But uh, that thing is almost out in the... Where is he throwing it to? I'm not sure. Second row. It's not easy to do that. It really isn't. And it's not easy to do this either. Jesus Sanchez last night of the Marlins. You're usually supposed to catch this with the glove, not the bare hand. One more look. Because they switch camera angles there. He goes all cricket and catches that with his bare hand. And he's okay. Because that could hurt if you catch it with your bare hand. There you go. However you, you can do it in some cases, I guess, right? And outs and out. Thanks, Squire. Up next, hockey mind games. How a BCHL team is tackling mental health on and off the ice. This is BC with Jay Durant. Brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. Like almost any professional sport, hockey has always demanded physical toughness with little focus on the emotional well-being of players. But the Coquitlam Express team is trying to change that. And as Jay Durant tells us, and this is BC, they're coaching not just the body, but the mind as well. What are you going to do today? Are you going to do well? I'm going to do some goals. Oh, a couple yeah, goals? Some goals today. Okay, buddy. A lot of chatter at the Coquitlam Express practice, and that's exactly what the team wants. How are we feeling, Tots? Good. A new program put into place this year aims to break down old stereotypes by encouraging players to talk openly and share their feelings. We want to change the off-ice perspective that it is not just about the mean, tough guy who's got the black eye anymore. You know, it's a guy who, who may have some challenges in life going on. Get moving, catch up, come on now. The team has hired a registered occupational therapist to help the players with any issues they might have. It's a program that's new to Canadian junior hockey, and the Express are hoping to build a model that other teams can adopt. 
the more that mental health is discussed and the more that, you know, that holistic well-being is discussed, the more it becomes a common placeholder within sport. And then it's there to stay. Last season, GM Tally Campbell had two players share their thoughts about suicide with him. Campbell tweeted out his personal cell number, encouraging anyone in need of support to reach out to him. That was the, the breaking moment for me that we've got to act quick here or, or we're going to have a huge, bigger problem on our hands than we already do in the culture of hockey. For the players, having a professional on staff to help them through any troubles is an outlet they've never had in the past. But there's definitely a stigma where hockey players are supposed to be tough and, and, and not speak about it, but we're definitely encouraged to speak about it here. <laughs> We all deal with mental health in different ways and you never know what someone uh, someone could be thinking upstairs and all it takes is a simple conversation uh, to have just to get some words out and uh, just be there for one another. How are we feeling after that save, man, Joe? Great save. This will be a new experience for everyone, so there might be a bit of a learning curve, but any difficult conversations off the ice will go a long way in helping these players through their junior careers. The reception from parents has been the overwhelming support of thank you. Thank you for having my son's mental well-being in consideration because that's the biggest, biggest fear I have being so far away from my son is how he's doing when he's not on the ice. Couple rooks over here, how are we feeling, boys? Jay Durant. I think we're good here. Global News. Love the chirping. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something that's unique to British Columbia, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. So many great stories in this province. All right, uh, let's give the last word to Christy on this last full day of summer. Thanks. So overnight tonight, we will see increasing cloud. We do have some rain through the early morning hours tomorrow, potentially lingering into uh, your commute to work. But it should be pretty nice on your way home as we are officially in fall by the afternoon hours. All right. Farewell, summer. It's been wild. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wistful about it. Have a great night, everyone. Good night, all.